0: This, uh,
1: this is Joe Cole. This is Ruben the cheek and you're listening to the London, the London, London Is Blue, Blue Podcast.
0: Podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue Podcast. As always, your host, Brandon. Uh, we are doing a Youth Academy special update, so we had to bring in the man, the myth, the legend at Chelsea Youth himself. Phil, how are you doing? Loaded questions, so maybe we'll save the heat for later. <laughs>
1: I'm good. Yeah, there's record-breaking heat in the UK right now, but I'm uh, lucky enough to be able to avoid most of it. Uh, I'm good because football's back. Academy football's back. There's a lot going on in and around all of the different age groups at Cobham. Um, There's plenty to talk about today.
0: Yeah, we're going to jump quite uh, two-footed into everything because we have a lot. Um, But look, new ownership, right? A lot of just general questions over the academy. Um, you know, are they going to be supported in the same way? How's it going to go? We know the U23s almost got really good last season. The 18s, uh, had a majority wise successful season. It seems like Bowling has come in and doubled down on the Academy, if nothing else, um, with some signings and some things like that. But overall, how would you, how do you feel the Academy is being supported under the new ownership? I think, Early signs
1: are promising. We know that the ownership had a, a series of early meetings with Neil Barth, as well as Emma Hayes and other key departments in the club. Uh, and it seems, at least from the academy side, they were like, yep, you're running a tight ship here. You clearly know what you're doing. Here's all the support you need financially. Go and do your thing. Because they've gone into the recruitment market this summer and been hyper-aggressive. And Chelsea are usually one of the more aggressive clubs in terms of recruiting at academy level anyway. But as we'll talk about throughout the this this episode they've they've really gone above and beyond in some of their recruiting this summer and yeah the new ownership is putting the money up the academy are spending it furiously and there's a lot, a lot of exciting talent coming in
0: no that is exactly what i was feeling like uh it seemed like a lot of excitement a lot of momentum i mean if anything uh the academy and women's team were dealing dealing cards real quick it was the men's team who were waiting on them. they finally Uh, join that bandwagon but we have new dev squad signings eddie beach a goalkeeper uh from the reigning uh champions coming in and then you have omari hutchinson and you think zach sturge is going to get done and they're not going to stop there so anyways uh let's just start unbiasedly with the best uh athletes on the field and eddie beach yeah he's
1: quite an interesting one because he didn't fully um become a goalkeeper until he was 15 which is really really late for any goalkeeper, let alone somebody who's been part of the development system in in England. Uh, he was Southampton's goalkeeper last season, as you said. National under-18 champions. And Chelsea were in the market for uh, another custodian just because of the way that the the loan market's gone. Jamie Cummings has gone back to Milton Keynes on loan. Ethan Wade has gone to Woking. Nathan Baxter has gone to Hull with an option to buy. Lucas Bergstrom's gone out on his first loan. He's gone to Peterborough United, which left them. And Prince Adegoke has gone to Welling. So five goalkeepers going out on loan part of their development plan. And you want to bring somebody in to the development squad to make sure that there's a high level of competition. Teddy Sharman-Lowe's still around, but he's on tour with the first team. He may be that bridge goalie in the way that Jamie Cumming was a couple of years ago. And he started doing a little bit last summer because it depends what happens with Kepa um so yeah eddie's a really good goalkeeper he's sort of in the same build and vein as Bergstrom tall blonde quite thin framed but with room to fill out very confident with the ball at his feet as you'd expect from somebody who played outfield until a couple of years ago Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he gets on uh Zach Sturge is a left back that the academy were looking at signing at the end of the January transfer window from Brighton didn't quite get done for a host of reasons and that seems to be one that's more likely to happen. It may be done by the time this goes out. It should be done by the end of the month. at The very latest, England Under-18 International. Three years ago, he was in grassroots football. Brighton picked him up and he's developed nicely. And he'll go into the development squad uh, to offer competition with Dylan Williams, who was signing in January. At a very problematic position for the academy. They'd lost the likes of Sam Jr. in the last couple of years and didn't have a naturally left-sided fullback. They went through Declan Frith on trial. They tried George Nunn who was converted from striker, and he's just left on a permanent deal to the Derby. So good luck to him. Uh, So they're trying to fill in the gaps that they've had for a couple of years that they weren't able to properly address because of a transfer ban and then the knock-ons of a pandemic and change of ownership and sanctions. So now that everything seems to be settling again, they're able to go out and say, right, we'll fill these gaps in, but we'll also try to bring in the very top talent that we can do. And that brings us to Amari Hutchinson, who made a fairly shocking move from Arsenal to Chelsea last week. And we say that because he'd be in most people's top five prospects at Arsenal, possibly top three, arguably top three player in the PL2 last season, a wonderful individual talent, small, low centre of gravity, wonderful left foot, scored goals, creates goals, was on the first team bench almost a dozen times under Arteta last season, but didn't get on. And whether that pathway being blocked to him was exacerbated by their signings of Marquinhos and Fabio Vieira, and trying to sign Rafinha, whatever happened there, he's decided to swap red for blue, north for west, Uh, he's joined up with the development squad, he may go on loan, he may not, but we know that what Chelsea have done, as well as anybody in recent years, is give a realistic pathway into high-level professional football, more than pretty much any other club in England, so there's a, a fantastic individual talent that may be at Thomas Tuchel's disposal if he wants him, but... We've, he'll come in, maybe in the development squad, maybe on loan. Really, really good talent, though.
0: Love to hear it, obviously. Uh, anytime you can have someone cross uh, over from a London rival, that's uh, a big deal, uh, just for, for fun's sake. But when they're a top-quality player, too, even better. Uh, which is is exactly what we see from these players top to bottom. It sounds like Slonina is potentially going to come in as well, another goalkeeper. Do you feel like this is an academy signing or a first-team signing? Because all indicators show that he's going to go back to Chicago Fire for even another entire MLS season, which I think is a little bit crazy. But he's only 18. Again, do you think that this is an academy-type signing based on how you read the situation? It sort of falls... Through the gaps, because more than anything, it's uh,
1: an old school Macanema That's exactly what I was going to say too. Yeah, it's it's for that whole loan operation where they went out and would sign a, a Matt Miazga or a Mario Paschalic or Stepe Peritsko If we want to do the deep cuts into all of these players, but more importantly than that, that the club no longer has the services of Petr Cech or Christoph Lodichon. Both of them decided to leave uh, at the change of ownership uh, and to forge new directions. And those were two very influential people in in the goalkeeping department of the club. They were the lead on bringing Edouard Mendy in. Uh, Lola Sean would head up the scouting of lone goalkeepers, recruiting new ones. And they would have undoubtedly been involved in the preliminary stages of identifying Slonina. And maybe that's why it went cold when they went off. And there's a a little bit of a structural change. I understand that Mark Beeney, the development squad goalkeeping coach for at least the last 10 years and was the under 18 goalkeeper coach before that uh maybe moving into more of a scouting and recruitment sort of overseeing role. Uh the talent is there. If Chelsea sign him, I don't think it's a first team or an academy signing. It's just one that's going to sit outside of that bubble. Maybe they have the budget to to delve back in a little bit into this the, the old-style loan army. I know there are recruitment uh, sorry, restrictions coming up on the number of overseas international loans you can have, non-homegrowns you can have, but when you whittle down the the ones that you don't want to keep and have to loan out, maybe you can take a swing on one or two like Salonina who attract attention from the likes of Real Madrid, from Chelsea, there's something there. You can leave him in the MLS for one, two years, maybe bring him to Europe uh, and see where you are because having the depth in the system and not necessarily need it, needing it is the rich man's problem. Mendy may have another five, six years at the top level. Maybe more, maybe less. Kepa cost 72 million and didn't quite pan out. You, you always need to be ready for that next step so that when you encounter a situation like Thibaut Courtois leaving, you're not scrambling around to make a panic buy as it turned out that Kepa did. That Kepa became so I, I don't know whether it's academy-led, first-team-led, uh, and who reignited it after Lodashanacek left, but it's, it's an interesting one to watch.
0: Yeah, like you said, it kind of falls through the cracks between first-team and academy and, and kind of lands somewhere in between. Uh, but we'll see, you know, if Kepa goes to Napoli, um, Bettinelli probably still sits third. They're going to have to do something. Do they really want to go sign someone? I don't know. There' a lot, a lot of things to come, but uh, it's glad to hear we are well taken care of in the goalkeeping uh, department, and that the academies is able to deal as well as able to attract top talent. Uh, That is always, always uh, important. And want to see um, you. You noted in here that uh, the Dev Squad have uh, started their preseason. We'll kind of get into some of it, but uh, they beat Colm and Bournemouth in the preseason. And uh, they've even had some guest appearances in their team as well. But we can start with Colin. Um Was that in England? Yeah, it was uh,
1: the Cobham training ground. It was the first preseason friendly. It was 22 players, first half, second half, completely different teams. Uh, a very relaxed pace, players finding their way back into a match rhythm. They'd spent a, a week in Portugal training before that, came back to very Portuguese-like weather in, in lovely Levy Surrey. Uh, And it was a a comfortable 4-0 win over a similarly aged Cologne uh, youth team. Uh, Jaden Wareham scored twice in the first half, two really well taken goals. One of them was a a one-on-one chance that he stuck away. And the other one was sort of improvised, hooking a high ball down in the uh, penalty area and sort of volleying it over his shoulder into the back of the net. And then the the changes at halftime from both teams just made it a very, very pre-season-y affair. Uh, due to saint bell got a goal late and uh, Derek Abou scored right at the end. Um, but more, more interestingly than anything was how Mark Robinson's setting up his team compared to Andy Myers, his predecessor. Robinson played a, a very flexible three-at-the-back system at Wimbledon and seems to be carrying that into Chelsea, which mirrors the way the academy tend to play. In the Cologne game, he played a, a formal two up front rather than a 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1. He had Wareham and Malik Mothersill up front in the first half and Judson Supple and Mason Burstow in the second. Uh, whether that's something that they're going to continue with depends on personnel as much as anything because they didn't do it against Boreham which we'll get to in a minute. But just seeing the players get into a rhythm, seeing some of the graduating under-18s come up full-time into this level like Mothersill, like Abu, like uh, Dylan Williams now. Uh, it, was, it was a good introduction. And then they went off to Boranwood, who are much further along in their pre season plan. They're a first team, National League, fifth tier professional, really good combative outfit, an opportunity for Chelsea to go there. Uh, they went there last summer and lost a tight 1 0 game. This was a different affair because they had Ngolo Kante and Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Matt Miazga and Baba Raman adding experience to their ranks. It was a relatively easy 4-1 win. Um, Leo Castledine scored... Sorry, 4-2 win. There was a late goal from Bournemouth that I almost forgot there. Uh, Leo Castledine scored to equalise in the first half. Then trialist Jez Davies scored twice. He um, was released from Tottenham in the summer, one of two ex-Tottenham trialists in the team that night, the other one being Albanian Youth International Ronaldo Torai. Uh, Mason Burstow scored a really nice fourth goal in that one at the end of some nice play by Charlie Webster. So more players getting minutes, more trialists making an impression. Lots of options for Robinson to work through as he works towards the start of the PL2 season on the first weekend of August.
0: Love it. Off to a great start. Good to see they're getting minutes. And now they're actually stateside, right? They're in Salt Lake for a bit of a kind of youth uh, friendly round robin tournament. They are indeed, yeah. This was uh, hastily arranged
1: um, off the back of the new ownership, I imagine, with the men's and women's teams both over there this summer, um, adding the development squad to a tournament that I believe was already agreed and arranged mostly by Wolves. Um, So they play their first game tonight, as we record, uh, against uh, the Royal Monarchs. And then they play Wolves on Thursday evening, local, Friday morning in the UK, and then Saturday night, Sunday morning UK, they finish off against uh, Toronto FC's second team. Uh, three matches in Salt Lake City and the surrounding areas. Sandy, Herriman. It should be uh, good that they've obviously got the, the influx of players that were released from Thomas Tuchel's first team training camp. So Harvey Vale will be there, Billy Gilmore will be there, Tino Andrin will be there. Um, whether they should be there or whether they should be with the first team is a discussion to be had and I'm sure we'll have it. But it'll be good for the development squad to play with those players who've been exposed to to higher level training this summer and in general. Um, hopefully it's a, another high level preseason for these boys. Three games in less than a week will get the match fitness nice and sharp for when they come back. They'll have one more friendly against Bromley at the end of July and then they're straight into action for real after that
0: i know i i'm excited to see how the results go against uh the mls academies could see wolves there um i think real salt lake has a pretty strong academy toronto does as well uh, i mean it's their second team right so those are essentially pros yeah. it's always fun to just see how the dev squad matches up against other teams around especially us in america i think it'll give us a pretty good litmus test um of kind of maybe where our game stands and some different things like that uh because u23s I mean, they're essentially, they they are professionals at that point. It's just a matter of they're a little bit younger, maybe lacking some of the, the experience. So it'll be good to see them take on some of those teams. It, you know, I know we've got n- new scholars coming in um, and some things like that. But I guess my my last quick question on the Dev Squad really is, do they feel different? Do they look different? It was a relegation season last one that we had to fight off. New coach, some new signings. How do you feel? I, I think there's that excitement that comes
1: with a fresh start. They were able to stave off relegation and hopefully leave it as a, a distant memory, nothing, never to be revisited or repeated. You don't carry the burden of that with you in the same way that you did the whole of the second half of last season. And and you've got the the, the buzz of a new coaching staff. It's not just Mark Robinson. it's It's James Simmons, who's returned from a stint as Tor Andre Flo's uh, assistant in Norway at Sondal. He's come back and he's working with the development squad now, reprising his relationship with Robinson from Wimbledon, where he was for the first half of last season when Robinson was still Wimbledon's manager. And uh, Andy Myers did a fantastic job as the development squad's manager. He led them to the PL2 title. He played a significant role in the development of players who've gone on to achieve great things for Chelsea, for their countries, for other clubs, winning trophies across Europe. Um, but but there's always something to be said for somebody coming in with a fresh impetus, fresh ideas. Uh, and Robinson seems to have uh, energised the group that's there. They, they've scored four goals in both of their friendlies so far. They've got an attacking swagger about them. There's opportunities for the next generation to step up. There's players playing different positions. There's trialists coming in and feeling confident being part of the group. So, it's going to be a very interesting PL2 season. They have changed the age bracket back to under-21 from under-23, not that it'll make very much difference because the average age of most teams was under-19 and they've extended the allowance for overage players from three to five. So it's really just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic for one of a better um, term. But I think you, you look at something like Manchester City, they've run away with the PL2 title both of the last two years. And a lot of their players have found it's time to move on as well. Um, Romeo Lavi has gone to Southampton. So has Gavin Bazunu. CJ Egan Riley's gone to Burnley. Liam Delat might be leaving. So, every when that happens, Arsenal had a, a great season last year, and their manager Kevin Betsy has now moved on to the senior game, uh, Crawley Town. There's a lot of change and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty around some teams in PL two. And, and if you come into the season energised with a new look squad, some fresh talent coming in from the outside like Ch- Chelsea have done, there's every opportunity for you to hit the ground running, set yourselves up for a really strong campaign. And not just in the PL2, that carries on into the EFL Trophy where they're going to be playing Sutton United and Leighton Orient and Oxford United in the first time in seven years. They haven't had a group of games down in the southwest of the UK where they have long journeys back and forth to the same places every year. It's another thing to look forward to, you get into the UEFA Youth League, which has a compacted schedule before the World Cup, like the Champions League will. If you can gather that momentum between August and November, you're really onto something. You're setting yourself up on the pitch, and then those players that are involved may seek opportunities in the first team if if the right matches come along, if they hit form. I think it's a really good time to be a development squad player and a follower of the development squad.
0: Love to hear it. Uh, high expectations for a big bounce back to this team. So we'll see how it all uh, shakes out. But, anyways, we're going to take a quick break. When we're back, uh, we're going to go right into uh, the 18s and see how the new team is shaping up. Uh, a lot of fresh faces coming through, which is very exciting. So, thank you to the sponsor for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. All right. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and and fat and now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables it's just hard to eat that many servings a day so uh, i started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient i'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system so What is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and it's trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Phil. As advertised, uh, sixteen new scholars plus a likely deal to add Tyler Dibbling uh, from Southampton. So, how is this team looking? How are the scholarships going? What I mean, honestly, it's got to be one of the most exciting times of the season in academy terms, just because of the "we made it" type feeling that these these young kids are are getting. Yeah, it's
1: always one of the best days of the year for the club and the academy when they're able to welcome the new scholars for the first time. And a scholarship essentially means that for players who are of school leaving age, which means that they have turned 16 in the school year from September to August, uh, they've essentially become full-time footballers at this point. They aren't full-time professionals until they sign... professional contract they can do that from their 17th birthday one of the players in this group turns 17 on the second day of september one of them doesn't turn 17 until next august so that comes and goes most of the players will have a professional contract degree but from this point on they are formally full-time some of them will have been so uh, within the club's schooling program at cobham for a couple of years before this is when it gets real there's some educational requirements but they are now focused on being full-time footballers uh, for a comparison sake, this time last year, Lewis Hall was signing his scholarship and he went on and made a first team debut mid-season last year. You can go from signing your scholarship in the summer to making a first team appearance not very long later. You could be in the first team in two years if you're really, really good. Callum Hodson Adoy was doing that. So it's it's a really exciting moment. Uh, and also really exciting for people at the academy to be able to put on a real show occasion for it. The event is usually held at Cobham. Families and everything are invited. There's the photos and the holding show. But because uh, they had to do it in a limited way through the two years of the pandemic, they were able to move the whole event to Stanford Bridge, uh, the nightclub under the bridge, uh, and really celebrate the occasion. 16 players. It's the joint largest uh, intake of first year scholars in the club's recent history, it, um, the last time they had as many, they were able to bring through Andreas Christensen, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. So anytime you can produce two high-level internationals who have contributed to significant success at the club, you're doing well. If we can do two from this group who have the careers that they've had, that would be great. There's no shortage of talent here. Seven of them are England youth internationals already. Fourteen of them have already played for the under-18s. It's Almost the entire under-16 team coming up. So there are players in every position. There were three goalkeepers, which is extremely rare to bring up because if all three are coming at once, then one of them's going to miss out on a matchday squad more often than not. But one of those is Ted Kurd, who's played 23 games of youth team football already under-15 under and under-16 season. He's part of the team that's gone to the US with Mark Robinson at the development squad. So you can see that he's ahead of the curve considerably, which allows the likes of Max Merrick and Luke Campbell, the other two goalkeepers who got scholarships, to to, to, to get their pre-season in and to get their opportunities with the youth team while Ted pushes on to, to bigger and better things. And that's what you can expect from some of this group. Some of them, uh, Caden Wilson and Michael Golding got some minutes early on with the youth team last year. Somto Boniface, who's a really good left-sided player, uh, did so sort of around the autumn, and then into the new year, they signed Travis Akomia from Watford, England's under-16 centre-half, who I've made a, a, a stylistic comparison to Levi Colwell without wanting to put the pressure of the actual ability on. Levi's left-footed, Travis is right-footed, but they move and they go about their business in the same way. And then towards the end of the season, you saw more from uh, the forward players, Atto Ampa, Donnell McNeely and Tyreek George, who came through. Um, as well as Harrison Murray-Campbell, who did a really good job at centre-half in the last half-dozen games of a season that the focus ended up being on the cup competition, so the league campaign, you could bring some of these boys through as the fixture just got more congested. They'll come in, they'll join the class of 2021, which was the likes of Ronnie Stutters, Zane Silcott-Dubry, Sam Raksaki, Richard Alise, uh, and Lewis Hall, who was one of those who who went up with Brody Hughes' development squad Mid-season. They'll probably be there full-time this year. Leo Castledine is sort of on that bubble of getting more and more opportunities at the higher level. And it, it just brings more and more depth, talent into Ed Brand's group. He's going to be assisted by Jimmy Smith, the former academy midfielder who played a couple of games for the first team and came back to the club last summer in mostly a recruitment capacity. But last season's under-18 assistant Andy Ross has gone to Norway to work with Tor Andre Flo to replace James Simmons in a relationship that the club seems to continue to foster. Smith will be working with this group. He's going to be a nice addition off the field. Uh, And as we spoke before, the recruitment isn't going to stop or just be limited to the higher age groups. It's going to continue with everything that they can throw uh, under 18s, under 16s, under 15s. Uh, And by the time this is out, maybe, maybe by the end of the month, they're expected to complete the signing of Tyler Dibling from Southampton, who is a left-footed forward who went a little bit viral in April for scoring a hat-trick of basically identical goals away to Newcastle and PL2. Um, he scored against Chelsea last season in the under-17 Premier League Cup. He's got that one of those shots that when he hits it, it stays hit and it, it's a real weapon, but he's a really well-rounded, right-sided left-footed forward who, again, for Southampton as an under-16, played... Nearly 20 games, all competitions, pushed onto the PL2 by the end of the season. So if he plays under-18 football at Chelsea this year, he'll have plenty of experience Have already done so. If he goes into the under-19s for the UEFA Youth League, he'll be a quality addition and then can push on for PL2 like Hall, like Castledown, like Hughes, uh, and keep the talent coming through because there's some good under-16s coming through who will join these first years in getting opportunities as the season goes on.
0: Yeah. And again, I, I just reminded everyone, Chelsea are tending to go really young on these teams as well, which is exciting just to kind of see what um, what they do with the opportunities. But, uh, um, you know, I, I just forget, you know, that how young a lot of these players are on this team. You hear 18s, but they're not 18 year olds. They're far from it. Um, and they're really cutting their teeth early on, which is exciting. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I fully expect uh, another year under their belt. They're going to continue to grow and do even better this season and challenge for trophies and continue to to win silver like they reestablished last season. Okay, well, I I look, I think that that is a a really good overview. I can't believe, Phil, that that like actual competitive matches are about to begin. I'm genuinely struggling to comprehend that. I feel like the season just ended Uh, and it probably doesn't help that we're here on the U.S. tour following Chelsea uh, along, but. Uh, a lot has happened with former academy players, kind of current youth players, and some things like that that I, I we have to talk about because I'm I'm really interested in get, in you know getting your opinion, which it may be biased, but you have an opinion, and I and I want to you know open that up. Um, a lot has happened recently. Uh, Armando Broya going back sounds like he uh, doesn't feel like he has a future at Chelsea, wants to be sold. Uh Levi Colwell is sitting in the, in the wings kind of waiting to see what shakes out. Do we get Kempembe? Do we get Kunde? Do we get both? Like, you know, is he going to have a, an opportunity to move forward? Billy Gilmore has just been, and these are my words. No one else is relegated to the development squad. He's been axed by Tuchel because Tuchel only wants 24 players in the first team squad right now. Um And, and we have to see on the flip side, Connor's there. Ethan's there. Um, I feel like I'm missing someone else, but uh, Tuchel has also come out and talked about the role of Academy players and youth players. So I feel like a lot has happened in the last seven days. Kind of what is your opinion and feelings about one of those, all of them kind of at whole and, and, and in general, how are you kind of watching this play out from your perspective? Because you are great at pulling comparisons, minutes, things of that nature. Um, you know, defending the youth, saying they're not demanding to start, they just want a chance. How, how are you seeing this season play out?
1: I think the biggest issue for a lot of those who are pro-academy isn't necessarily what's happening directly to the academy players, but the consequences thereof taking Ross Barkley and Kennedy and Emerson and Michi Bashuai on pre-season tours. Now, if people are upfront as to why those players are on tour, it would be a lot more helpful. But everyone talks around the subject. Tuchel says he wants a group of 24 to keep training levels high. But that suggests that the players that he's allowed to go don't keep training levels high. And I think that does the young players a disservice and also begs the question that if you think that Batshuai and Barkley and Kennedy and Emerson do keep the group level high... Why are they continuously farmed out on loan with no future at the club? If any of those four had a, perm- a long-term future at the club, they wouldn't have been on the repetitive loan merry-go-round as they have been. So th- that's where the dissonance sort of causes a lot of tension and frustration because... To see Kennedy get the opportunities that Harvey Vale should maybe be getting, Barkley getting the opportunities that maybe Billy Gilmore should be getting. I know they're not the same position, ostensibly, but they're both central midfielders in whatever formation that Tuchel is playing with at this point in time. And to to, to then have someone like Armando fly out late and then fly back. Yes, he's got an injury, but he is flying back to talk to West Ham. What well, about start? He gets minutes against Club America will only serve to compound in Armando's mind that he feels he needs to leave. There's an argument going around that he's the only nine at Chelsea, so why isn't he sticking around to give it a uh, a real go? And you can think that if you want, but when you say he's the only nine at Chelsea, it's like you haven't watched Thomas Tuchel's entire reign as Chelsea manager. He prefers, apparently, to have Kai Havertz as his nine. There's a very high chance that Raheem Sterling will be an option at nine this season. We've seen him try Tammy Abraham as a nine. We've seen him try Romelu Lukaku as a nine. Two players from a completely different end of the scale in terms of cost to the club. And neither of them were able to really play to their potential in his system. Maybe that's played into Borussia's mind as well, but you can't say he's the only nine at the club when Havertz has been the nine for most of the time. When someone like Timo Werner gets opportunities as a nine. All of these uh, incidents and occurrences... And details that might exist in a vacuum themselves will coalesce into creating doubt in the academy players' minds. It isn't that they want 30, 40, 50 starts. They just want the opportunity to compete on an even level where the, you're not going to compete on an even level with a Kalidu Koulibaly. You're not asking to do that. Kulibali is one of the best defenders in the world. But if you're competing with Malang Sarr, and then suddenly Nathan Ake is linked as a signing, you're entitled to feel some doubt if you're Levi Colwell. And you're entitled to seek answers. And if you don't like your answer, then I don't think it's it's anyone's... Pr- you don't deserve criticism if you decide uh, to take your chances elsewhere. Because if you're Colwell and you've seen what Fikara Tamori has done and you've seen what Mark Gurhi has done. If you're Gilmore and you see what Jamal Musialo has done. And you see what Tammy Abraham's done. If you're Broja, these are players who might all be at the World Cup in November. And if you make the right choice now, whether that be Chelsea or somewhere else, there's a chance that Levi could be at the World Cup. He's an under-21 international. He'd be one of the best young defenders in the top flight wherever he's playing next season. That's not... Some people might view it as a step down from Chelsea, but to them, it's a very good opportunity to make a very respectable career and name for yourself at the earliest possible opportunity because these careers aren't guaranteed anything can happen we've seen what happens to players over this previous generation who stick it out at Chelsea who play the long game and don't come out the other side despite being deserving of doing so you've seen Nathaniel Chalaba you've seen Josh McEacher you saw Jeremy seen, They 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 didn't get the, the luck that they deserved or the opportunities that they deserved. And you yeah, fine. We've got Conor Gallagher coming into the first team now. Absolutely deserving on merit. But let's see how much he actually plays when it really matters. Because Tuchel's record with youth last season wasn't stellar at a time where he was repeatedly complaining about the lack of depth and lack of options he had within the squad when COVID hit, when injuries hit. He didn't turn to the academy. We had Lewis Hall in the, the FA Cup and we had... Harvey Vale, we had Jude and Xavier Simons in the game against Brentford. Sutbell got a half, Simons got an hour, and they weren't seen again. Hall wasn't seen again after being man of the match against Chesterfield. Vale got five appearances. All of this is to say that nobody's demanding that these players come in. You're not demanding that Vale replaces every minute that Ziesch has played. You're not demanding that Simons suddenly kicks Kovacic out of the team. You're not demanding that Colwell Starts instead of Koulibaly. It's about having a fair opportunity to get the representation that you deserve without needing every card and every domino to fall in your way like Trevor Chalaba did last summer. It's serendipitous without meaning to discredit Chalaba that he got the opportunity he got because there were players who were away after the Euros. There were injuries and they weren't able to sign Jokunde, who they may still sign. Trev took his chance and absolutely ran with it, and was still dropped from the team for extended periods at the end of the season, when the team was not performing well, came back into the team for big cup finals, and performed. Chelsea haven't lost a 90-minute match with Chalobah in the starting 11. He went up against some really tough opponents at times, and there were moments where it was rough for him, but it's about how you react to that. And people can go around and saying, oh yeah, he got given the run around by Luis Diaz against Liverpool all of those times. But Chelsea didn't lose those matches and Chalabal won as many of his fights as he lost. He's a young defender who showed the ability to improve from performance to performance and from start to the end of the season. And that's a point that I've made about Colwell as well. If you give him the chance to play twenty, twenty-five games like Chalabal did, the improvement in his game from August to next May will be
0: stupendous. Love it. Um, I think you kind of touched on a couple of like misconceptions that are out there. Are there, is there a couple of things you see on Twitter constantly? that You're like, oh my gosh, you guys are just completely missing the point here. Or like you are misinformed, like egregiously that we just need to like help guide people. Cause I just feel like people don't really understand the Academy players as well. And kind of like when they come out of their contract, it's really crucial uh, of like when they sign that big extension, because what is it a three year contract? Right at, yeah when they turn seventeen, and then after that, Chelsea usually like to get them on a four or five year deal. Yeah,
1: your first your first pro is three years. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you know they have to kind of finagle these situations right out the gate because it determines essentially some of the most crucial years of development and potentially breakthrough for these players. Yeah. So you take Harvey Vale, who was
1: cut cut loose from the first team camp maybe prematurely and who didn't get as much playing time as he might have liked last season and particularly wasn't involved at the end of the season. Unfortunately for the game against uh, Watford, he was apparently unavailable with COVID or uh, he was unwell. But his contract is up next summer and we've been in this situation with academy players before. He now holds the power. Charlie Webster was on the bench for that Brentford game, didn't play, hasn't made his debut yet. He's out of contract next summer. Soon, Sat bell out of contract next summer. And whereas Chelsea were able to trigger an extension in Billy Gilmore's contract and Mark Gerhees before, because that was their second pro deal, they don't have the power with those players. And some people will be listening to this thinking, yes, so I don't rate those players, they can go, which is fine. But you will end up regretting at least one of them. We've seen the number of players who've left Cotton to go on to do really, really good things in their teenage years and their early 20s. You can make the argument that they're not necessarily Chelsea standard, but how many of the players at Chelsea are Chelsea standard? you're spending money on players who aren't performing or aren't justifying the money that you've put into them. When I personally would prefer to see those opportunities given to players that deserve it coming through, reserve that money to make sure you can go out and get your absolute top targets instead of having to settle for the second or third tier targets. And Hopefully, that will be the approach that any new sporting director or director of football takes. This summer has been very unpredictable and very improvised because Chelsea don't have a football hierarchy. And I think it's to Todd Bowley's credit that he's been able to go out and finalise deals for Koulibaly and for Sterling, who are undeniably really, really good players and assets to the squad in positions of need. When he doesn't have... Tremendous experience in the world of football. What we see when he eventually builds uh, a football department around him and assigns responsibility to a sporting director and whatnot may see us forge the longer-term pathway that we want to see for the academy. But there's a chance that this summer there is some collateral damage in the form of Colwell or Brogier or Gilmore or Angerin or Vale You don't want that to manifest itself in this way that he and Abraham and Tamori and everybody else has gone on and felt like a real loss before, because then you're not learning your lesson from it. And hopefully what's happening
0: now isn't irrevocably done. Do you, again, like maybe I I probably sent us on the wrong side, but um, again, like just some misconceptions that you typically hear on social that you're just like, guys, this is, you're, you're, you're misguided here. You're missing the point when it comes to you because I know you get a lot of mentions. I do, and more than a decade's
1: worth. I think if I was to draw it back to two points, the first is that you, as a manager, you always have a choice. You always have a choice whether you do or don't want to play the academy players. It's down to whether you want to play them or not. You, you can say that Lampard was forced into playing Mount and James And Abraham and Tomori because of a transfer ban. But it's demonstrably untrue. At the time that Abraham was put into the team, they had Avaro Morata. At the time that Mount was coming into the team, they had Pedro. At the time that James was coming in, they had Zappa Costa. At the time that Tomori was coming in, they had David Luiz. And certain predecessors would have stuck with the senior players. Maybe they'd have fared better than Lampard, maybe they wouldn't. But you play the long game. Two years later, those four, Tomori departed mid-season, were part of a Champions League winning squad. Mountain James were core elements to that, and they are among Chelsea's best players now, then, and every time in between. And I don't know how people don't see the value in giving those opportunities when you can quite clearly see the rewards it builds to the first team. Chelsea have been in numerous cup finals with... Mountain James and Christensen, Loftus-Cheek, as key members of the squad. Tamori and Abraham were were cut loose too early for my liking, but they were both champions of major competitions last season. The academy develops winners. The academy develops players with a high floor and generally a high ceiling. But the high floor is what we were talking about a few times last season, particularly back in that Brentford game. You could take any random player from the development squad And the chances of them performing to an acceptable 6 or 7 out of 10 standard for that match, for that occasion, for that hour, whatever you need them for, are greater than the chances of them flopping. And it's just scaremongering to say we're not going to overtake Liverpool or Manchester City by having a whole team of academy players. These boys aren't good enough. These boys aren't ready. Because that's not the, the, the crux of the matter. It's about making sure that the players who are closest to the first team and who are able to offer the first team... Something in terms of quality, who've they've been out on loan or they've really impressed, they're in a really good moment of form for the development squad, to keep the momentum going. Wasting the momentum is the worst part of it. If you were to send Conor Gallagher out on loan again this season rather than integrate him, you risk wet, ruining the momentum he built up at Crystal Palace and at West Brom and at Charlton and at Swansea. Because it just takes one wrong loan to mean you're no longer close to the first team. Billy Gilmore had all the momentum under Lampard. He even had some of it under Tuchel. He played really well to Manchester City, even though he wasn't a regular. The loan at Norwich has killed the momentum. It was the right time for him to go on loan. It was possibly the worst move, but Gilmore may have been one of those players who didn't necessarily need to go on loan. He was part of teams that beat Pep Guardiola's Man City, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, Carlo Ancelotti's Everton, top, top managers that Gilmore is running the show in midfield against. I think that's the big takeaway, that just believe in the ability of the academy players to contribute effectively when they're close enough to the first team to deserve it. We're not asking for 16-year-olds from the youth team to come straight into the first team. We're asking for the boys who have proven that they are worthy of a shot, to be given a shot, particularly in pre-season ahead of players who've been here for seven years and no shop window in the world will ever convince somebody to buy them. Nobody's going to turn on Chelsea's highlights against Club America and think, oh, Ross Barkley's there. I forgot about him. I'm going to sign him. It doesn't happen. If, if if Ross Barkley was going to be sold, if Kennedy was going to be sold, if Bashoi was going to be sold, Chelsea would have sold them already. Maybe under the previous regime, there was an element of Granovskaya wanting to maintain some market value for them, keep the money ticking over on the books. But who's, who's making that decision now to keep them part of the squad? It has to be Tuchel's decision. And if you're choosing to take those with you, with no pressure from above, from a board who have shown that they're willing to go out and meet asking prices, which in theory means that they'd be willing to cut their losses on players who have a year left on their deal, take it and run rather than trying to churn the value as the predecessors did. You end up with a feeling of frustration. And that's what we've seen over the last few days on social media and questions asked to Tuchel. And and hopefully there are there are no real ramifications as far as the academy are concerned.
0: I think it'll be interesting. Again, Tuchel's made some comments, you know, promoting it. But, you know, again, posturing and maybe doing is a different thing. I definitely feel like he's seeing an opportunity with Bully coming in to splash a ton of cash. And I think he's just being opportunistic right now. And I do feel like there's going to be some academy prospects that are maybe going to fall through the cracks while they look to secure some of these signings with only a year left, to your point. So it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. You know, look, if these signings don't happen, these players are going to have to go in just by default and play. Um, But it's it's definitely kind of feels like Tuchel is is, um, running up the limit as much as he can because he knows that these opportunities won't come very often. You know, but the new owner seems to be willing to splash the cash. So he's. Yeah, it's fine for him to do that. And my point of view is my point of view.
1: And I'm not necessarily saying it's the right one or the majority one. But what I don't particularly appreciate is when you talk around it and you say, we love to have them. We'd love to have them with the squad, but we need to have 24 players. And we choose to keep the ones that have been here for seven years and are no closer to being a regular part of the squad. That's where it's frustrating. You say, we'd love to have them, but well, it's your Correct. choice. It's your choice to get rid of the younger players and keep the senior players around for marginal gains at best. At the absolute best. I would be staggered if Kennedy, Batshuayi, Emerson and Barkley were all part of the squad by September 1st at the end of the transfer window. Not least because there's not enough room in the non homegrown sections to actually register them all which is another angle that we're coming at here but it just feels like it's self-defeating all round to to tell the players that you want to keep them and then move them on and, and keep players that you've already told them you don't want them
0: yeah so i was trying to quickly pull swiss ramble he was doing the uh the wages of all kind of the top teams in Europe and Chelsea were wildly high on this table, as far as like how much we pay on a weekly basis. And I know fans, you know, they talk about a lot of different things and whatnot. Um, But at the end of the day, what, what is important is balancing the books and things like that. We don't have Abramovich here anymore, right? Like we, we definitely understand that that, that kind of beneficiary owner model is gone. The academy can play such an important role by not having to have forty, you know, thirty to forty million pound depth players in the team when you have them right there and available, and you don't have to have a huge signing fee and amortize them on the books. The academy simplifies a lot of these things, and I think that all fansville can unite around that and saying. We're good with the Baba Rockmans. We're good with the Kennedys. We're good with the Zappacostas. We don't want to repeat that just because they have professional minutes. Um, we, I think Chelsea fans really do rally around having academy players come through the system. It seems like they play harder. They fight for the badge a little bit harder. Uh, you know, when they go to the media, to say, this is my club. When they kiss the badge, it means something. Um, and there's just a deeper connection. And I think that is really what all Chelsea fans really want to see, and if you have an anti youth agenda, then like, look, that's your thing, but you're just you're just hurting yourself and shooting yourself in the foot. Um, there's a lot of just really good opportunities for these young players to integrate in the squad. And Treble was a was an amazing surprise, and his reaction after scoring that goal at the beginning of the season last year was absolutely priceless. And that's what you get from academy players.
1: It is, and look, let me finish on a more positive note because I do genuinely believe that the ownership want to put into a uh, place a structure that is relatively similar to what we're told about the Dodgers. They have an extremely high payroll, but they have a deep, diverse and talented farm system, development system, pipeline of prospects. And I think you may be starting to see that play out in the investment from the Academy this summer, not only working with the higher level of talent at Cobham, but going out and saying, right, we're going to um, accentuate that by bringing in Murray Hutchinson and potentially Zach Sturge and Tyler Dibbling and plenty of others to say, because then, then you're bringing, you're, you're throwing more, more at the wall, more mud at the wall. See what sticks. The more options you have, more talent you have, the greater the chances of one, two, three of them coming through at any given time are. And that can only be good for Chelsea. That can only be good for the Academy. When you bring in talent from outside, it raises everybody's game. Uh, and long may it continue to be a, a formally structured thing that the club want to do. And uh, and at times, yes, even impose upon the manager as a sporting director and saying, these are the players you're working with. These are the academy players that we believe are ready. Please integrate them because that's how uh, it ha- the, the rhythm of the club should work. I just don't want the club to, for a second summer in a row, regret some of the business that they're doing by losing young talent that they have now that can help them now and in the future leave and
0: show you, show you what you could have won. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, Phil, uh, nonetheless, I'm excited. I think Levi's going to stay. I think he's going to end up having a role. It sounds like Kimpembe wants to stay. Kounde's not going to keep him out. Um, I am, I am hyped on Connor this season. It sounds like Ethan Ampedu uh, may even rival Ruben to for the um, the Swiss Army Knife role of uh, being able to play wing back sweeper, <laughs> in center mid all in all in one season. Um, and, and we're just gonna have to see, you know, who else can kind of come back and and, and make uh, a, a bit of uh, an impact on the team this season. But um, I, I am optimistic and I am bullish that we're gonna see one to two more players. And I think, though, in just being honest, it's going to be because we didn't get other signings over the line. But, hey, that just creates opportunities for these players to thrive. So I'm really, really hoping to see that. And you'd expect Chelsea to play 60 games again. So you're probably going to get some opportunities uh, for the dev squad players as well, like we saw last season. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot to come. But I love hearing your update that the academy is significantly stronger than they were last year. And hopefully we can make it rain with trophies once again. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Ah, absolutely. All right. Well, if you're not following Phil at Chelsea Youth on the socials, he does an absolutely phenomenal job covering the team. Um, and like I said, matches are coming sooner than I'm ready for. So uh, block your calendar, get it, get it in there. You're going to need to find some time off Phil for all these matches um, because it was a short summer break. But thank you again for all the time and expertise. Anytime. It's always a pleasure. All right, well, that's going to wrap us up, Chelsea fans. Go ahead, follow Phil, check him out on social. Always breaking down all the moves, asking questions. Just be nice. All right, be friendly. He's a good guy. Uh, that's going to wrap us up. More content coming from Charlotte on the next stop on the Chelsea Tour for y'all. But until next time, you need know to do, keep the blue flag flying high.